0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best gaming leaders from across the Nordic region to discuss industry passions, challenges and ideas. My name is Melanie and I connect physicists with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. Before we get cracking, let's just go uh, around the room and you guys can introduce yourselves. Uh, Jukka, if you want to go first.
1: Yes, hello. My name is Jukka Hilavan. I'm the publishing director at Nitro Games, a Finnish mobile game company.
2: Lovely. Martin? Uh, I'm Martin Holtberg. I'm the Chief Marketing Communications Officer at SharkMob and clearly outnumbered uh, in this call by my uh, Finnish uh, neighbors here. So holding the Swedish
0: flag high all alone. No worries. We're we're very friendly. You're quite safe. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely. And then Jipa, JP. Hi,
3: my name is JP Savolainen. I'm a creative producer at Rovio. Lovely stuff.
2: If you would like to speak on the future podcast if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work
0: with please get in touch thank you so much for listening and i really hope to hear from you soon please enjoy the rest of the podcast so now we know who you guys are uh, what you guys do and who you work for so let's move on to the topic so everyone has a question on supporting games through branding and marketing. So we'll go around the room um, asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it, give a bit of context, and then everyone will have the opportunity to give their opinion. So let's just start straight away um, with JP and your question please.
3: All right, Uh, first of all it was really interesting to think about question for this kind of thing and uh, it's nice to have you Martin and Jukka here from really kind of a different background that I am from. So, uh, well, my question is like, uh, what are some examples? So uh, it can be from your studio or others of uh, good marketing actions that are on brand and show the value of the company. And why do you think so? Uh, my reference for this just was for Metacourse, this kind of like a narrative like action creatives, which is kind of like some mobile companies, one of the first ones I think that I'm have used that amount of effort and money to bring something different for around a mobile game. Uh, and the other one was uh, Supercells, this guy in kind of, Supercells, uh, this kind of animated ads, like really good series of mini kind of ads that are really well. Uh, another example was from Supercell and uh, this kind of series of animated ads that they make. And I think they are high quality and present a brand and, kind of like the feeling of the game really well so that's my reference so um what do you think about Marty?
2: um i yeah i liked how you started it was interesting to come up with the questions and it was also interesting to see your questions because uh, it makes you really uh search if you have to come up with a few good examples of stuff So what I landed on was I have two of them. I'll I'll start with one and then uh, Yuka can do and then maybe we can come back to me. But I have one example of something that really stuck with me and it was the thing that immediately jumped to mind. So for some reason it has to have been good, I think. But I think it was like 12 years ago, uh, the campaign for Gears of War when they released their Mad World trailer. That trailer, um, it really hit you like... And it was just a song choice, and then of course the right footage for that. But it was a very, very good piece of marketing material. Um, And then it actually ended up somehow, to me, matching some of the sensations I got from the game. So I think that was a, a very well-placed and well-executed trailer.
1: Thank So, yeah, Yuka. For me, I, I was trying to remember the name of the uh, game, but I can't now... Uh, Remember it, but it was it was it's a mobile game uh, recently launched like a car themed mobile game where you basically uh, repair cars and put it them on sales. It's a quite quite successful one, but I can't remember the name of the game. I have to get back to you when I do. But why it was so so nice ad was that that basic, they had a they had a like an influencer from TikTok who was uh, mainly. Focusing on, on cars and and repairing repairing cars and uh, how how well they like aligned the actual creator and it wasn't a create like uh, an marketing it was like they used that creator in, in the normal performance marketing campaign in the ad. but it combined so well with with the team and, and the brand of the game that I was like just blown away like how like this is genius gen- genius marketing. I'm, I'm ashamed that I can't remember the name of the game. It's just recently launched, and it's quite big. I tried to search for it when we had the, the like the little introduction, uh, but I couldn't find. it back to you on that.
3: Well, that's that's really good. It's like the first thing comes to mind in TikTok. I'm not in TikTok, but just like. There's lots of people and younger peoples. So what's the kind of the core audience, of course, in TikTok? Why they, do you think that was just like why it hit it so well? I think the they, the publisher
1: really like uh, understood the audience of the game because they had a, also an IP. It was something like Best Side Something, and it was a car game. I'm pretty sure you know know the game, but uh, then. And I think they just went down like what. What are the biggest names currently like uh, considering the, our target audience and what could be like actually relevant for this game and for this for this brand? So it was really well made.
3: Cool. Uh, and also just like about if I want to comment about the Martins one, it's just like the... Now I can't get the rid of the song in my head. I remember <laughs> when you told me well, I haven't, I, I haven't remembered the whole thing for ages, and I was like, oh, because it was actually based on the song, like you said, and it's brilliant. So I need yeah. to check it after this again. Um, maybe one thing you like show the value of the company. It was part of my question, and I think it was a bit hard for my also for me, but with MetaCore and Supercell, of course, those are two big companies working in the in the mobile game, but. They kind of like, uh, seem to combine that whatever they do, it brings up the value and it's just like, oh yeah, it's not a it could be what a class of class, whatever, but it's just like, oh yeah, I can't remember that's a supercell game. Oh, they kind of branding the company instead of the game also. And with Metacore, it's just like, oh yeah, that's the that's the old cranny one. Yeah, they had all the Pedro Pascal on the TV on ads and all this, but what's the game's name? Oh, because the the category of the game, there's so many. Similar, like mechanics or whatever yes. they use. That's the yes. thing. But that's just like for me, that was interesting that they somehow, in some magical way, combined the brand and showed that kind of, this is the values of our company. So that's interesting indeed.
2: Yeah. I, I, my second example was actually connected to that. Uh, back when I worked for uh, Ubisoft on Tom Clancy's The Division, uh, I was uh, IP uh, director, so I was uh, responsible for creating yeah doing a lot of the world building researching uh doing characters and stuff like that and um the german ubisoft pr department they actually made like a documentary or a mockumentary i guess a series um of episodes about what would happen if there was a real pandemic and uh, well interesting it was a couple of years before the actual real pandemic so that that was in hindsight even more interesting but but i thought it was a very uh, interesting initiative and asset because it fits something that was an internal idea within Ubisoft. I don't know how much they still do that, but basically it's always been encouraged there to make games that you can learn something from. If you look at the Assassin's Creed games, for example, deeply steeped in history. Yes, it's still entertainment and it's a lot of creative freedom, but you can come out of that and having learned some real actual stuff. And I think that mockumentary, the the fake part was uh, obviously the thing connected to the game but like 70% of the, or 75% of the the documentary was uh, actual experts talking like real doctors and real uh, people in charge of emergency response and stuff like that so i think it was a very interesting way of of using a a game setting as a vehicle to talk about real things in in a way that made sense so that that's another good example i think of something done uh, taking one of your products and still embracing the entire core philosophy of uh, of your company. That's brilliant.
0: Can I ask, thinking about like marketing and like showing like values, like company values, how important is it when you're doing a marketing campaign for, for a game that you, it, do you always need to show your values? So I'm just thinking, for example, like GTA and Rockstar, right? So that was like the most viewed video game trailer within 24 hours that's ever existed right but i don't mm. really know how you show your values as a studio for a game like that right and we don't really need to go into it on this podcast but everyone i think knows what i mean so yeah. do you do you have to for every game you do show your the company values kind of how do you view that
2: i mean from my point of view no you don't because some Some companies are so tightly connected to their games that you can't have one without the other, that the culture of the game is the culture of the studio. And it's like the brand is almost the same. And I think GTA is one of those examples where it's so closely connected. If you think Rockstar, you think GTA, and it's like, it's that tight. it's very Mm. tightly connected. Then you have developers who make a wide range of games, uh, all kinds of different games. And obviously they have a different thing. Maybe it's a, a... a sense of quality or maybe they only do online games or maybe they just do single player adventure games whatever it is that that's the common part for all their games but the games themselves can be very very different so um, yeah like sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's harder but i think rockstar and gta they have it in that sense quite easy uh, by now they're very established what their tone is what their attitude is
1: yeah, and GTA is so big that like uh, you're naturally lucky connected to, to entities together, the company and the game or the franchise.
3: Yeah, and I'm thinking also about kind of like the the company's value, how you treat the people inside. It's just like what what do you value when you make the games? It's not about the, like the content, maybe it's like the GTA. I wouldn't sign. It's like yeah, it's great content in real life, but just like how what are the goals? for the games here, like we want to make entertaining game on this topic whatever it is and just like these are the values that how we work and this is how we're going to get to the end so that might be another kind of a viewpoint from my side like how i how i see the value in this concept yeah
1: yeah I, I also think that it's not necessary to show show the values of the company in the in the marketing campaigns for the games but of course they are important as a company themselves too, for like uh, recruiting purposes and those kind of things so it's uh, of course it's a different different marketing angle totally like when you when you market your own company towards other people and not specifically on, on the games. Now I remember I the, found the game that I was uh, talking about Scrum, Chrome Valley Customs from Space SpaceSafe and uh, they had a I still can't remember the name of the influencer from TikTok, but they they had a lot. They have quite a lot of those uh, creatives where th- there's actually human being, uh, like uh, where the intro is about like the showing the actual influencers that he, he's talking or she's talking about the game, and then then you go inside the, inside the gameplay section of of the videos. But that was like a very very well thought, because all of the influences that I was able to see was basically they they are more or less in the same same field of ours.
2: But there's there's an interesting link or or you know connection there to the question you ask JP when it comes to values, because a lot of marketing campaigns these days are attached to a person or a persona be it a tiktok celebrity or or a movie star or whatever so you're adding these layers of of uh, of values i guess right so the studio who makes a game they have a certain set of culture a certain set of values the game itself has often part of that, and maybe something else as well, connected to the setting or or the gameplay or whatever. And then often you add like a third layer on top of that, which is a spokesperson, um, like a movie star, for example, or a TikTok celebrity. And that's when it starts to get squirrely because you know it's not often necessarily these things are um, matching. You know, it's like the 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 celebrity can be a completely different thing from the studio, so you're starting to send in a way, mixed messages, if you tie it too closely to that personality, I guess.
3: Yeah, I think that's when the kind of like, uh, the expertise of uh, casting and whoever does that in the company is, is really valuable also, just yeah. like to get it right. And also with, with the MetaCore example, they had Pedro Pasca, who was like the highest kind of like a name at that moment, like on the game World of the Last of Us, just like, oh, yeah. So obvious choice, but still he's a, kind of like a nice guy. So yeah just like mm. cool. that was a good match but it doesn't always happen but it's uh i really need to check that you because what you said that uh, i don't know about that campaign but that's really interesting here
1: yeah yeah i also have a personal experience we are working with that uh, we released a, a game called nerf super blast in 2022 and in we are not actively anymore supporting that game but the, we I was, of course, working with them in the marketing side of, of that game, and we had a couple of nice, nice creatives or activations. One, one was with the YouTube record called PDK, uh, which is, I think, this is the biggest, biggest Nerf-related uh, uh, influencer in, in YouTube. And uh, we, we did a uh, like a full, fully like a full video about the game, where they actually the PDK has the, has the kind of brand where it goes very like a very high on, on different kind of things. So when when he promotes the game, he tries to reenact the whole gameplay with the Nerf Blasters in the real world. And uh, he built the whole whole Shabang of, of like a cosplaying the tournaments uh, of the of the mobile game. And uh, we had one uh, like a we call it cranny, which was basically like a, in part of the crowd because Nerf Super Blaster is playing, is played in, in the like uh, arenas. And there was like a spectators and one was one was also always granny like a, this old old granny who was sitting in the arena and they reenacted the granny as well and it was fucking oh, sorry super h- hilarious super <laughs> hilarious uh video video and it, it was a lot of fun to fun to work with them uh, with with, uh, with that guy and of course like because it's an external ip then NERV already has quite quite strict guidelines of what we can do and what we can't do with them with the videos.
3: Yeah, what, what is this like? How did you find that? How did you know that's the most? Because somebody must know the world. I'm just like,
1: oh. Yeah, we had a we had a, like a marketing intelligence tool where we can check like uh, with a certain certain keyword like uh, who are the who are the biggest influencers in YouTube with the with the search word Nerf. And then we were trying to check who is also the most relevant, because we know what are the guidelines of the brand. So, but Pdk had all, always like these friendly videos where there is no cursing and they are super super nice. And the whole the interaction with the, with the influencer was super nice and he was very down to earth person. So
0: Nice. Ooh. Okay, right. Let's move on now um, to Yuka and your question. Please.
1: Yes. Uh, my question is, what is the best way of selecting an existing IP for a new game? Uh, so when you're starting a new game, and you, you want to uh, improve the marketability of the game and you want to somehow tie an existing IP or franchise into the game. So what? how would you go about it? What are the parameters that you would use when trying to search and fit an existing IP to your game? Maybe we can start from Martin.
2: Right. Um yeah i think uh, i've only ever worked in like the, the AAA space where ip is kind of defined by the owner publishers portfolio and, and whatever their release plan is right it's it's usually a bigger uh, consideration than what any individual team uh, takes on um, but then when when uh, we started shark mob we obviously selected an IP. We licensed Vampire the Masquerade and we did Blood Hunt. That was the first game. Uh, And now we're working on our first original IP here, ExoBorn, announced uh, this year. Um, And so I think, based on that, and based on how I prefer to work with it, I would say, uh, start selecting something that you're passionate about. Because it's a passion-driven industry where we know the quality of our uh, games are directly connected to how invested the developers are in them. And and if we're super invested in the IP, we tend to get greater games. Uh, if the if the team is lukewarm on developing for a specific IP, where it's not going to be as good. So I would always recommend uh, to look to your team and see what they're passionate about, if you can. you It's not always the case, but try to do that. And then um, my second consideration on that would be once you have selected that ip whatever ip it is whatever product you're working on you really need to look at the audience uh, that has come before like the people who are into this ip what are they really into because if if you're making something they're not interested in it's an uphill battle all the way but if you can find an area that is unexploited but still within their realm of interest or if you can, you believe you can do it better than than something that is currently there, then go for that. But uh, always proper research and analysis of the existing um, IP audience, I guess, is is my second uh, recommendation there. Yeah. And then you then you yeah. just you know then you take that to your business case or your your budget or your timeline or whatever, and you you know you do the math on that. And that's how I would go about selecting the IP at least. Yeah,
1: those are some very good points, Martin. About JP? Well,
3: that's 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 a lot. That's like what you say, Martin. That's like spot on. Right. So I was thinking, well, like what kind of uh, IPs we have in Robio. Of course, the Angry Birds is a is a huge brand and IP itself. So instead of licensing or doing that, we have thought about like how we can use the Angry Birds characters in different kind of game, and maybe it comes from the mechanics, like. But I really come back to you what Martin said, it's like, it's, it's a passion. So if there's something like mechanics, it's it's often, it can be really just like a stick on top of something. And the players, uh, they know it. And it's just like, no, this is not some way original. But uh, the, why they chose the, to use the Angry Birds Dream Blast, is like they wanted to make more casual game because Troy became famous about the slingshot game. So they wanted to expand hmm. on that way and then made it for a bit of a different audience and made the characters a bit younger and just like more lively and uh, so some for some reason that actually started to work and now that's uh, that's one of the biggest game that we have alive. the other thing is like uh, the best way of selecting maybe it's not the best way but that's the that was one of the way that we thought at rovio that we want to go to markets in japan which is Kind of extremely hard on the western part, like we, we don't actually know how some algorithms or something work out there. So, we wanted to have a good collaboration with a big brand that is known already in Japan. So, they made a licensing uh, deal with Moomin. So, now we kind of like, we are kind of developing game and just working on this Moomin puzzle and kind of like a design game. And that's also nice to have. You could go kind of like a cooperation because the movement IP holders are really, they also know like nerve people, like you said, it's like they really know what they want and what can be done and what cannot be done. But And that sets the sandbox for the creativity, what we can do and what is the core audience. But just like, I don't have the, if I could pick anything, I would pick just exactly what I'm passionate for. But in Atrovia, we need to work on this kind of. Uh, with, with the birds and then now with Moomin we have had this lots of uh, uh, this kind of uh, prototype games that, that go to the marketability test and then they usually just like they turn down quite a lot but that's a great way to test different kind of IPs so or one of the best that was the passion one that we have this kind of like small town murders that you saw murders which was really kind of interesting the story was so interesting that I didn't actually care about the game mechanics. That what I need to do. I just want to see the story. So mm-hmm. that was kind of like a well-driven. But the actual core gameplay, there needs to be a balance, and that's something that uh, why not we we are not supporting that game anymore that much. But uh, kind of these kind of ideas came to my mind on on our just like on, on at Rovia.
1: Yeah, I think the the I've heard of, I have friends working or, or friends working in Rovia, and I heard heard of course that you have them. Mummin game in development and lucky enough I have another friend who is actually living in Japan and he started like his own uh, company where the, the sole purpose also they created an app and the whole purpose of the app is to be an exchange for Mummin mugs in Japan and they so they have few people in the company and part, part the fi- people who are living in Finland they send Mummin mugs from Finland to Japan so that they can sell it in Japan apparently uh, it's a quite good business
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it can be as simple as that but just like that's, that's that, nice. that
1: tells that tells something about how how big the Moomin thing is in Japan at least in uh, probably there's like not the biggest IP but uh, who are actually fans of Mumin are quite
3: quite uh, strong strong fans. Yeah, well, we come to the, the second part of this, like the parameters to order to match the sixteen IP and audience. Like that hasn't happened yet, so even the IP might be a big one. How do we get people engaged to play the game? That's all, yeah. part of marketing? How we can? That's that's also interesting topic. But I think that's that will be take a, a longer time to deep dive. Exactly.
1: Yeah, we had the similar.
3: have similar experience with the Nerf, so
1: we we started working. And collaborating with Hasbro, talking with them because they want to expand the IP to mobile, and uh, they asked us to to think about like if there's if there's any any good game in our our portfolio or what we do. And since we do action and shooter games, we would, it's quite a natural fit of, of because there's the Nerf blasters. Of course, the, there cannot be any violence in the game, so then we had to find ways with the game like how how do we keep the fun of of the action and shooting game even without you actually killing anyone and also trying trying to engage the also a bit older audience with that game because probably you cannot the business case becomes impossible if it's only only the youngsters so you have to somehow think about both both audiences so but it has been interesting, interesting case, and also fully, fully much aligned with what you said about like uh, you have to have the passion for for the game and, and uh, for the IP. And I think that went quite naturally for us because we're all about action, action and shooter games.
3: What about Martin? One question about like how do you set the kind of the, how do you measure things when if you do a bigger game, or one launch or something? Because in mobile. Not to say every time, but like at Rovio, we, we launch game in just soft launch in few games, just like countries take the results. We, uh, we take the data, learn about it and then make it again. And just like at some point where we measure some parameters over there, then it is shown as like, uh, yeah, we can go globally. And then the game is kind of released for everybody. And then of course the game gets developed and more levels come and whatever. But what about just like, how you make a game, is that kind of like a set date, that now that's launch and there we go? Or is it like, of course, the cyberpunk is one that example that they went live, oh, they that was buggy. They took it back and now they're developing and uh, relaunch and whatever. It's just like, how do you do it?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, it, I, I'm i sometimes very envious of uh, mobile developers for the reason you just said, because it, it is easier to do the soft launch and, and do those, controls before you hit the global launch uh if you look at like a triple a project you have somewhere between three and five six hundred people working on a game uh, at the height of the development and you've set a date and uh regardless of if you're a single player or a multiplayer game you want to try to stick to that date um and i i think it's it that that it goes a bit back to what you, we discussed before about company values and and to a certain degree, uh, of course, the uh, what you would call the stamina of the company or whatever, right? Because you have to be able to, if you move that date, you have to be able to sustain the cost of doing it. Um, and you have to be able to communicate to your fans that you need to move the date for the full release, uh, because we typically start communicating six months in advance on on the marketing side for the game and then we try to build hype towards the release so everything is is working over very long cycles uh with with lots of heavy investment along the way so moving something like a release date is a is a bit of a nightmare and you don't want to do it um over the last yeah i'd say since i since i joined uh, massive in 2005 until now i pretty much only ever worked on multiplayer games, like one or two smaller AAA type single player experiences, but almost always multiplayer. And what we would do to mitigate the fact that we couldn't soft launch, and this is something we still do uh, at SharkMob is that we start testing against consumers very early. We do what we call a uh, Uh, we we put like uh, always playable it's a mantra we have that we can always play the game multiplayer and so we start testing early on smaller groups of people and then as we get closer we ramp up the number of people and then as you hit around beta or so you you typically start to see the bigger online tests where you invite thousands of people and at that point ideally you should be fairly secure uh, in in the foundation of your game right but it, it is it is also a reality where things always happen when you scale. So if you have a multiplayer game and you now start adding tons and tons of people at the same time, you start seeing things you had no way of predicting before. So this is you know this is the gray realm of where user research meets marketing, meets development, meets community management, and and everyone kind of has to start pulling the same direction. Um, but I guess to answer your question, it it is a very big machine. Uh, and just like a big ship it's hard to stop uh, so you you keep pushing for that date and I think that's why we see uh, AAA releases that are let's call it not great at release and then improved within the next couple of months after with day one patches and, and even more patches it's just because the, the the beast of that the ship is too big to stop and uh, you have to in some cases just get it out there and keep working on it uh, but I think that the industry has gotten better, but there's still a lot to learn and a lot to do in terms of how the consumer is invited in on that journey, because it's not always a very pleasant one in the beginning. And I'm not gonna name any names, but there's been a few examples last couple of years where the game at launch was not really at all what people expected. And then two years later, it's a fantastic stellar experience. It's just the Mm -hmm. proof that it takes time to get it finished. And I don't know what the solution for that is. It's very difficult. But yeah, uh, that's why I envy uh, smaller projects and, and mobile development because you're way more flexible and agile and able to react to things. If you have the basic good uh, foundation for your company, that is like, I'm sure even smaller developers, smaller titles can have hardships, but it's a bit easier when you don't have 600 people that, that needs to like be realigned
3: yeah, but that the, when the timeline is longer, I think that gives you some kind of. Uh, or oh, this is just me assuming things, but does it give you a kind of like a more safety, just like more time to focus on things? Because when we are agile, it's a sometimes total chaos. Like yeah, we need to do yeah. this, and no, no, tomorrow we need to do another things. Like oh, come on, that's yeah. why I'm losing my hair now.
2: Yeah right. No, no I mean, it, it, I, I guess it's, uh, I guess it becomes a mix of that because we do have that as well on the bigger projects, right? You you, you end up in those situations where it's just, oh, we just got to get it done. It's going to be in by tomorrow. You have that, but you, I guess you also try to plan more long term. Um, but then another thing I noticed over the years is that these projects, these big AAA things, they they span over so much time that trends change before you're shipping your game. And then you're trying, sometimes you try to adapt to that, right? Or um, a new console comes out, a new version of DirectX or whatever it is, and everybody scrambles to react to that. So it's like these, these external factors, um, there are so many points on the timeline they can hit you. Whereas if you have a shorter timeline, you're less. Uh, um, there's just less impact points across time, I guess, I'm trying to say. So that, that's that's one of the risks. You, you can suffer more of those disruptions along the way.
0: Nice.
1: Martin, I also also have a, one more question. Martin, how, how do you handle the branding of, of a new game in a A project? So do, you, do how do you define it? Uh, do you start already in the beginning of the development, or, or how the brand of, of a new game shapes?
2: I think that's probably different from studio to studio. The way uh, we tend to work with it is that the branding exercise starts day one together with the conception of the game. Uh, So we we constantly think about the marketing aspect of the game because that ties together. Uh, And then the brand itself does not really get fully defined. Like I said, you typically start around six months before, before release for most AAA games. Um, and at that time, obviously, you need to have your brand well defined. Um, and um, and and that is done through market research, through agencies. Again, you can't really afford to not get it at least mostly right the first time around. So you invest heavily in the initial phase to get it, you know, to the point where it's right. Um, but that's a lot of work. And ideally, it should start at the same time as you start developing your game. Uh, and then you ramp up uh, at least that, yeah, in our experience. But I'm sure you can do it differently. And, and we all know there are many ways to skin a cat, right? So different teams approach things differently. Yep.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, we'll stick with Martin. Uh, and can we have your final question, please?
2: Absolutely. So uh, to frame this a, a bit before I ask the question, uh, I'm like an accidental marketing guy. I started out doing PR. Uh in the in the war field against the marketing teams um trying to get everything done without budgets and stuff and that was back in the day when uh, a magazine cover on uh Pelit or pelaya was uh, the main goal to achieve or pc gamer in sweden or a uh, game reactor in denmark that's what like as a peer guy that's what you were measured with and these days, when we measure KPIs, it is a lot about what's called engagement. That's what all the cool marketing people are talking about. What's the engagement on that asset? What's the engagement level? What's blah, blah, blah. So I, I, to me, I find it interesting. Uh, and the question then is, what is the importance of engagement in a marketing campaign? And how, in your opinion, do you best set that up in a time when everyone's engagement is pulled in all directions? Uh, because i think that is like the bane of our existence right now it's easier than ever to reach people and everyone is reaching everyone at the same time so given that how how, how important is engagement and how do you work with it uh, uh, let's start with Luca.
1: Well, yeah, thanks uh for your first question like what's the importance of engagement i think that is uh, a very important metric uh in in what we call it, like a performance marketing campaigns, because that usually dictates like how 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 quickly the creative or that can can be scaled up in when when we increase the spend of the campaigns. But if that engagement doesn't lead to the actual end result that we are looking for, let's say an in in-app purchase or a revenue or or both, then it doesn't really matter. But overall. The higher the engagement of, of a creative is, the, the more likelihood it is that it, it's actually doing doing or producing the business results that you're looking for. So, producing revenue for for the company. And uh, what, at least how I think about it is, is that like um, you have to get the attention of of the user, like in the first second or two before before they just skip and go somewhere else. So that has to be somehow somehow sparking interest and it's of course like JP probably knows better than I do that it's very very hard to to (laughs) produce a new new set of winning creatives because it's uh, and this this like a constant battle of of the attention is truly like the thing that we are fighting in and um, at least how I think about is that you have to think outside of the box and not Like the gameplay videos that you like actually show the true and honest gameplays, like they are bread and butter. But then after that, then it comes really tricky. Like how do you, what kind of uh, sequences do you use when you, um, do you like uh, use influencers in the beginning of the video to, to get that attention or do you do something completely different in the beginning and how do you keep that attention until, until the user clicks the ad? There are yes. multiple ways of doing that and probably I that, Yeah, I
2: think the the scary part you said there, and I, I have to like I, I wanna emphasize that for anyone who doesn't work with marketing is you said one to two seconds. That's what you have, one to two seconds. That's no time. One to two seconds, it's like it's true, but it's like no time to get anyone's attention. And and that's the tricky part. Yeah. And and if you miss that, you lose all the engagement, right? So yeah. JP, it,
3: and it, yeah. I got scared also, just like, because (laughs) we know that if I mainly make like 15 to 30 second videos and people don't watch, it's like it's first two seconds, like, yeah, we just pass. Then what is called like the thumb stopper, it's just like, oh, this is interesting. And I think that's part of the thing, like how you get people engaged to watch the video, click it, and then download the game and so on. But... Like you said, it might not lead to the people who download the game. It's like, oh, the game isn't actually what I expect. It doesn't kind of go hand to hand with that, just like so. What we do. So, in this thing, I think also the longer time engagement is really important. And I think what the examples from Metacore or or Supercell that I pointed out is that they do brave and bold moves, like let's make a TV ad. The game can be anything, but oh, hey. What is this about? And there's the narrative. So I think that might be sometimes the solution for a longer thing. It's like, for example, why I watch South Park, uh, Kenny kill dies every in every kind of like episode. But oh, they kill Kenny. But it's like oh, that's kind of like a catchy thing. That's in case like oh something's happening. I, I know that's going to come. So with this kind of like a campaign, so games. So it's like okay, I play. There's going to be something. So if the game is also good enough, then then hopefully with this kind of like brand and marketing actions we can support game to be become better but uh it's really really hard <laughs> it's like to get the attention so the first attention if you are talking about like this in fast engagement to get people around something and then how you deepen the engagement that's that's something uh i don't know one example just like basic if the game is about core some game mechanics match three then if it's really enjoyable to watch, it becomes like um, almost this kind of like a, what's the ASMR thing, just like oh, mm-hmm. oh, that's kind of like a soothing. thing, and like that. Now I have break. Maybe I played. So how do you package the same thing? It's like, and then you with that ad, if one ad. Performs really well, then just like you go really deep with iterations and you iterate and iterate. It's just like that; it has nothing to do with creativity in the way. But just like that, makes the engagements like oh, more people gonna click, click, click. But then we come again, how how it's gonna work in the long run. And that's something how you keep up this kind of rule many marketing actions sounds it's like it's 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 really interesting but i don't have the answer <laughs> Sometimes no, it's so. something algorithms so just picks up it's like oh why did this work but but the other one that we thought it's gonna work it didn't Yeah. so just so compete against that i think making a longer and bold moves like let's something that we believe on we are passionate about see how it works might be and answer also in this kind of like a, where where everybody's pulled in different directions.
2: Yeah, I, I think there's like there's like a um an economy to engagement because people are getting bombarded with impressions and and let's call it asks, like like ads are asking them to do stuff, or or a trailer is asking you to do stuff. And one thing we struggle with is that for like since we start communication six months before the game is released we can't really ask you to do much. Like, mm. you're watching the trailer, but you can't click, download, and play. Um, we, we just expect you to come back for more information during this cycle of of hype building, right? Um, and I don't know, how, how far before release do you typically start with a mobile game on, on the communications side of things? Or is it at release that you start putting out the ads and, and doing all of that stuff?
1: Well, at least uh, we do, like, we start there, Start also testing the marketing funnel and what works in there uh, during the time when the game first gets into life. So mm. typically in, in technical soft launch where we test that the game actually works technically, and then going from onwards from there to the soft launch. So all the time we are also trying to trying to learn like what what is actually working in terms of the engagement in, in the marketing funnel so course, the, like they,
2: the user can take a direct action from your ad and download the game or buy the game yes. immediately that like that's the first thing you do is not until then can they do yep. you start putting out ads yeah so then that, that that's like that that's a huge difference in terms of engagement because uh, the indifference i guess of engaging with with an asset when you can't even play the game that we're talking about it's like people immediately move on to something they can engage with in a more meaningful way at least that's that's kind of the trend i'm seeing over the last few years here because there are so many options on the table there's so much stuff that can take your attention so until you can actually give them something that you know creates an investment uh, i think engagement is harder and harder to get basically
3: yeah what do you think about like can you use any best practices from the movie industry for example So like that's that's a kind of like a long project and then you build up the hype and then you release yeah. it and then let's see what it's happens. It's more like
2: that, yeah. yeah. It's similar to that uh, and I think and that's a very good example because that connects to this question as well. I'm not sure how they really measure uh, value in engagement with a, with a movie trailer, for example. I, I've seen countless movie trailers where I did not engage, I did not hit like, I did not share, I did not do anything, but I decided I'm going to see that when it comes out. Um, and so they had me at hello basically to do a Jerry mcguire reference uh, but I didn't tell them that I was interested in their product so if a marketing person just looked at whatever engagement kpis they have like shares um whatever it is view I mean views is not really an engagement you you're you're just watching something so then that's where it becomes harder to to give meaning I think to Engagement KPIs. The minute you can put something that they can download, install, and play, then you can start, you know, putting more stock to the engagement thing. But before then, I find it super hard to to make a call.
1: Have you tried uh, tying up the like the early early marketing uh, activations uh, uh, with the email emails? So asking asking people to sub- subscribe to your e- email list yeah. so you can actually
2: you do something. Yeah. yeah, so, so what, what we actually end up doing, I guess, is that you don't measure, you just don't, you don't measure just the um, social media engagements of likes and shares. You, you try to do other activities, sign up for a newsletter, uh, visit the website, how many hits can we get on the website? So you, you try to measure it, you know, from that perspective, and then you, you compare to other titles you had in the past, and you try to like make some kind of educated uh, comparison. Uh, but again, it's a very blunt tool, um, especially in a, in a landscape where social media and stuff is changing so fast, and that it affects how engagement works. I think it's it affects our ability to analyze these things. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think from a from a like AAA uh, marketing campaign perspective. Uh, engagement is very tricky you kind of like have to validate it in many ways until you have that sign up for the alpha now sign up for the beta now those are very clear engagement kpis Uh, but that tends to come later because people want to know what they're signing up for first um yeah
3: what do you think about like the when you do the games and then are you as good as your last game which was released are they same kind of like people want to play your games because of that company, and then that's why they are engaged. They're a fan of they, yeah. they, they're your fans instead of the game, and they are open to play the game, whatever you release. And then- yeah,
2: I mean, there, there is some truth to that. I don't think it's all the truth, but there's definitely some truth to it. We know there are some studios out there that can basically, they, they can announce their game the day on release, and they would still sell millions of units, and that would be fine. Um, then there are others who really have to work for it, and, and like prove that this is a good game. So the, the reputation your studio has is, and the existing fan base is super important. And that's why a lot of the, the AAA uh, project developers, they try to tie communities directly to the development studio, because like you said, you're a fan of the team, the studio, that brand, not just a specific game brand. And it also allows you for a bigger studio, you can now move you can attract fans across different titles right it's not just a title you have multiples um so yeah that that is uh, that i guess that's everybody's end goal or dream at the same time it's um it's difficult because you have to then build like a some type of studio brand and and that's usually done around people and if you tie it too closely to a person and that person leaves you start getting all the negative feedback within the community so there's a risk to doing that from a marketing point of view as well um yeah it's not like it's not there is never any one silver bullet to any of these things so i think uh, you, you try to do a bit of everything and hope you you get traction on one end and then you double down on that i guess yeah yeah
0: all right <laughs> before we end the podcast just want to say a massive thank you uh to all of our guests uh for sharing their opinions today so once again, we've had Martin uh, of Shark Mob, we've had Yuka of Nitro, and JP of Robio. If you are hiring for new roles within gaming or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message as well. I'm Melanie, and you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at melanie.lindsayevolution-nordics.com. Or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thank you again to all of our uh, guests. Thanks to everyone who's listening. And we hope that you can join us again next time.